Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the worlds of fitness and nutrition. I'm so excited about today's episode, so make sure you listen in and get ready to learn. Hey y'all, welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. Today's guest is Kaylee McDevitt, and we are going to talk all about low progesterone. But before we get into that, Kaylee McDevitt is an amazing dietitian who I found on Instagram, and I am so stoked to have her on here. She is just a wealth of knowledge, and I love everything that you post, Kaylee. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast, taking your time, and I'm so excited to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan of yours too. So I'm super pumped to chat with you. Oh, well, thank you. I love finding like-minded individuals and dietitians who are in the functional medicine world because let's be real, there are so many different dietitians that are still not using functional medicine. So Mm -hmm. it's really great to see other ones like you in the field. Yes, agreed. So can you tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, what got you started, or what made you want to be a dietitian, and then Mm -hmm. let's dive into your story of low progesterone and where you are at now. Sure. So my name is Kaylee, and like Lacey, I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I always knew I wanted to do something in the health space. I grew up always being an athlete. Um, Thankfully, like my parents instilled some pretty good core nutrition values in me. And originally, I was thinking I wanted to be a physical therapist. Um, And then I found that I was spending all of my free time like reading nutrition research. And I thought, well, maybe I should make a change here and actually get credit for this time I'm spending reading nutrition stuff. So I found the world of dietetics, knew for sure it was where I wanted to be, Um, got through that program, got into an internship and realized I hated it, hated my clinical rotations. Um, I felt like, uh, and I'll get into this when I explain my story too, but what I was being taught wasn't helping me. So I had this whole like imposter syndrome of how I would ever be able to help mm-hmm. people if I couldn't help myself. Um, and then thankfully, I stumbled into the world of like functional medicine as an attempt to help myself and ended up having my first job as a dietitian, um, working alongside some naturopaths and other practitioners like in a totally different space and using functional labs and uh, just completely changed the trajectory of my career. And so now um, I own a virtual practice where I help women get to the root of lingering hormone or digestive issues. And then I run an online course and community called Her Hormones Academy with another functional medicine dietitian. So love what I do. And it was totally shaped out of my own journey of trying to get myself better. That's fantastic. I'm so excited for you with that whole, that new new venture for you with Instagram and the new company and the collaboration. So that's extremely exciting. Now let's talk about your story. And I would love to hear more about what you said in regards to clinical, because I know for me, Mm. oh, I thought (laughs) I wanted to be a clinical dietitian and I went in and it, it was just like five minutes max per patient, Mm -hmm. just focusing on charting all day, no connection with patients whatsoever, really. Oh, yeah. I hated it. I hated it. And (laughs) so I would love to get your thoughts and your experiences. Oh, my gosh. Yes, totally same here. I just had a completely different view in my mind of what it was going to be like. And then like you said, there was just no, no interaction. I honestly didn't feel like I was helping people because I'd be in there for five minutes. Um, They'd think I was there to take their meal order. 
And that was like pretty much it. And I felt really alone about that because mm-hmm. I, most of the other interns in my program were not feeling that way. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Like investing all this time and money on a career and I don't even like these rotations. And thankfully the really amazing part about the dietetics profession is there's literally infinite amount of things that we can do. Exactly. And it's so cool. And like, you know, you're such a great example of like an unconventional route for dietitians and that we can build these online businesses and help people in really meaningful ways above and beyond clinical dietetics. Yeah. And you know what I found really strange in my own internship before we, of course, this is off topic, but I found that there were a lot of different interns that didn't actually like the education aspect mm-hmm. and the counseling aspect. And I, that was my favorite part. People would be like, oh, I love just doing tube feeds. They're like, oh, I got a tube feed client. Yay. And I'm like, I want the patient that I get to educate and talk to. That was always right. my favorite part. So it's very interesting. We're all different. And that is the beauty of dietetics is there are so many different routes anybody can take. Mm-hmm. I know. It's so fun. So fun. So let's chat about your story. Let's talk okay. about that low progesterone. Yes. So I know the purpose of our chat is really not to spend a lot of time on birth control, but that's where my story starts. Um, so I was put on birth control in high school because I just had like brutal periods from the start. And I would like miss days of school. It would be totally out of commission. And so I saw my doctor. They presented birth control as the one and only option and a solution for my problem. So I went on it like pretty pretty early on into ever having a period, I went on birth control. And to be honest, it really did solve my problems for a while. I had tolerable periods. They were predictable. I didn't have to miss school. All was great. But then I started to develop some other symptoms that were really just not not the, the usual for me. Like I had a lot of mood changes. Um, my motivation was way down. And like I said, I was an athlete. So I was used to being super active was always a really positive person. And instead, I started to feel like I had almost like a fog over my life. Um, energy was down, mood was down. I uh, ended up putting on a decent amount of weight as I started my college career. And I just really felt like I lost myself for a while. And I would bring this up to my doctor and it would get dismissed. Um, I would request that we tried a different type. So I tried like probably every birth control pill that was commercially available at the time. And nothing gave me any relief. So I started to dig into the research on my own and realizing that that wasn't my only option and that, in fact, the synthetic pills or synthetic hormones in the pills were likely behind a lot of the symptoms that I was having. So it was about the time that I actually became an RD and had that first job that I mentioned where I was exposed to a lot of functional lab work. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to take myself off the pill. I'm going to run all these labs on myself and see what's up. So I took myself off the pill, ran all these labs, saw that I was making zero progesterone, and we'll get into why that is, Um, had a whole bunch of nutrient deficiencies and like gut stuff going on. And I had thought once I transitioned off, I would, you know, the fog would lift, I would feel great, all these symptoms would go away. And they really didn't because I had so many underlying imbalances that were just masked by being on it. And so I struggled with getting my body to be able to make progesterone for probably a good year after coming off of the pill. And there was a combination of things for me. At the time, I was working and getting my master's, so stress was super high. Um, I was into marathon running back then, which is laughable to me now because I can't even fathom running more than like three or five miles. 
um, I was really not sleeping much and not prioritizing sleep at all. And then I was not eating enough to support my body getting back on track with making hormones. And so I didn't really feel like there were any resources at the time that I could go to for this. So I was kind of blindly going down this path. And so now really my whole career has been trying to be the resource that I wish that I had back then and really spreading the news on, you know, how, how do you get your body back into balance and what are those common roadblocks? And so that's how I got where I am now. Wow. Look at you going through <laughs> all of that you went through and now taking all of that and helping others. That's incredible. Thanks. Appreciate it. So let's talk about progesterone for my mm-hmm. listeners. What is progesterone? And then we will dive into what can influence progesterone and how does progesterone influence our body? Yeah. So the goal by the end of this podcast is that you are as obsessed with progesterone as like Lacey and I are. <laughs> it Completely, is Completely, <laughs> utterly. Progesterone is life. <laughs> yes, progesterone is life. Um, it is a sex hormone. So we've got estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone are the main ones. Um, and progesterone is the one that's going to be highest in the second half of your cycle. So after ovulation and before the start of the next period, we have a rise in progesterone. And progesterone, the the name comes from progestation. This is actually the hormone that would carry a pregnancy if that was the goal for you. But even if pregnancy is not the goal, we absolutely want those two weeks of high progesterone each month if we can get it. Um, Progesterone has such a beneficial effect on our metabolism because it actually upregulates our thyroid. Um, It can improve our mood. It actually is interacting with our brain and Um, calming something called GABA receptors in the brain, which helps support a stable mood. It helps prevent a lot of the mood swings that are common in that PMS timeframe. It helps us sleep better. It can actually make our hair and skin healthier. Um, And it actually can keep the immune system um, from getting a little crazy and going down the autoimmune type pathways. So it regulates the immune system, which is amazing. So it's a really, really big deal that we have this hormone. We were designed to have it for a reason. And when we don't have enough of it, we absolutely feel it. So progesterone is very powerful for our mood, digestion, energy levels, so powerful in so many things. Mm-hmm. So with progesterone, what can influence progesterone levels in our body? Yeah, quite a few things. So First and foremost, hormonal birth control works by shutting down ovulation. And ovulation is the step in our monthly cycle that makes progesterone. So just remember, if there's no ovulation, there is no progesterone production. So So if anybody's on hormonal birth control, we're not making progesterone. And that's a big driver of a lot of the symptoms associated with that. Um, So first and foremost, that certainly interferes with progesterone. Um, The other things that can interfere would be things like not eating enough or super high stress where we're actually stealing resources that could be used to make progesterone and instead making stress hormones like cortisol. Um, Nutrient deficiencies are a pretty common reason for low progesterone here. Um, Issues with sleep. It really comes down to making sure the body's fully nourished. What are the signs and symptoms of having low progesterone? And let's talk a little bit more about what can cause low progesterone. So we talked about under eating, thyroid Mm -hmm. issues, estrogen relationships. Mm -hmm. What do you find are the key reasons for having low progesterone in clients that you work with? 
Yeah. So in my population, not eating enough is a really, really big cause. I'm, I'm sure you see it too. Um, I think that there's just a lot of marketing targeted towards women that gets our mindset that we really don't need much food. And there's a whole lot of like unbrainwashing and retraining on what an adult active woman actually needs to keep her body healthy. And not eating enough food on a consistent basis is a really strong signal to your brain that now is not the time to promote ovulation or promote fertility. So I find in a lot of the women that I work with, getting their calorie intake up to an appropriate and responsible level really makes a big difference in their progesterone production because it's supporting consistent ovulation. It was certainly the case for me too. Um, Like I mentioned on my journey, I had discovered I really wasn't fueling my body adequately. And that was one of the final puzzle pieces to put together that got my progesterone production back on track. Um, So that's a really big one. Stress is obviously a big one too in the world we live in today. And remembering that stress isn't just, oh, I have a stressful job or I've got, you know, three kids at home or my boss just yelled at me. But stress is also like too much exercise or not getting enough sleep or eating foods that are inflammatory for you or having blood sugar bouncing all over the place during the day or even like unchecked gut infections are a big source of stress. So remembering that there's a ton of things that go into that stress bucket and really taking the time to go down that list and tease out action areas for you. Um, those ones are really, really big ones. I'm sure you see similar things in your practice too. Oh, yeah. And I would say when it comes down to having low progesterone, there are, of course, a variety of different reasons for having low progesterone. Mm-hmm. Um, and our hormones, when one thing goes wrong, our hormones like to jump ship together. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So our hormones are like in symphony. If one thing goes wrong, the whole entire chorus goes wrong. So I do tend to see more than one issue be happening at the same time. But I see progesterone, low progesterone happening a lot of times because of chronic under eating, over exercising, Mm -hmm. being post birth control and just things not regulating yet. Um, Hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, Mm -hmm. um, endocrine disruptors even. And then um, I do see a lot of people with that blood sugar dysregulation Mm -hmm. and stress levels, having chronically high cortisol because cortisol, yes, the progesterone steel does not technically exist, but Mm -hmm. having high cortisol will deplete you from being able to have ovulation Yep. With those spikes in LH and FSH, will then which will then stop you from having adequate progesterone to have a period. Because mm-hmm. like we said, we need progesterone in order to have that corpus luteum grow and be able to actually shed the blood. So mm-hmm. you need yep. progesterone, no progesterone, no period. Yep. And I'm glad you brought up how all of these things are inter- interrelated, like a big, beautiful symphony. It's definitely the case. And one other reason that I do see pretty often that women have symptoms of low progesterone is actually their estrogen is too high. And there's a big relationship between estrogen and progesterone. And during that second half of your cycle, the luteal phase, progesterone should be significantly higher than estrogen. And even if you're making normal or optimal amounts of progesterone, if estrogen is too high for you, you actually don't benefit from that progesterone. It's as if you weren't making it. So you know, you mentioned endocrine disruptors. That's definitely a big source of what we call estrogen dominance or estrogen being too high. Um, so sometimes it's, you know, cleaning up 
the beauty products or the household cleaners or the quality of the food. Um, it's also supporting things like your liver and your gut so that you can actually, you know, move estrogen through the detox pathways that we naturally have. So there's a big connection between estrogen and progesterone that's relevant here. Exactly. Now you mentioned under eating over exercising. So Mm -hmm. how can some, how can a woman figure out, well, maybe it's because I'm under eating or over exercising. What are some things that they can look into? Yeah. Um, I really like using tools to track your intake on an occasional basis as just a way to audit what's going on because you have no idea what's going on unless you're tracking something. So Um, I like to have women track a couple of days just to get an average of what their intake truly looks like. And then um, if they're working with me, it's something I would calculate for them. But otherwise, there are some, you know, decent online BMR calculators. Um, None of these things are going to be 100% accurate, but it's just nice to give you somewhat of a starting point to go off of. So I'd recommend they find um, a BMR calculator that will be able to use activity factors so they can get an idea of how many calories does their body truly need at rest and with activity just to maintain function. Um, and that alone is a pretty powerful exercise because in this low progesterone population, it's almost always a discrepancy between these two numbers. Mm-hmm. And so if you see a, a discrepancy there, then your next step is to make gradual steps towards matching that recommended intake. And paying attention to how your body feels and how these things shift over time. Um, It should be slow and gradual and your change in symptoms are going to drive your interventions. Um, And with women's health stuff in particular, it takes a long time before you notice improvements here. I know Dr. Lara Bryden mentions it takes about a hundred days from, um, you know, the maturation of an egg for it to actually be released from a follicle. So about a hundred days or three periods before you really notice if that increase in calories is going to decrease your symptoms. So it's, it's the long game here for sure. Yeah. And I love when she mentioned that she said that in my podcast and she was talking about how if you have a stressful period in time in your life or you Mm -hmm. get sick, virus, whatever it be, trauma that can show up three periods later. Yep, which I find crazy. beyond fascinating. And I, I will tell that to my clients and they're like, oh my gosh, really? Mm-hmm. And then they think back, they're like, oh yeah, I had, I was sick for that whole entire week. And I'm like, yep. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's crazy. It's just like hair loss. Hair loss shows up six months later and you're like, right. what the heck? Why is my hair falling out? And they're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, I burnt, I burnt out six months ago. Right. I know. It's all these like delayed effects that can make it tough to actually track where the problems are coming from. Exactly. And it's a whole nother reason to really be in tune with yourself day to day. So Mm -hmm. ways that I think you can also, and I love this Instagram post that you made on um, ways to look at seeing if you're not eating enough, your poor Mm -hmm. sleep quality, irritability, sex drive, energy Mm -hmm. levels, blood sugar levels, feeling cold, uh, poor recovery from the gym, or not even wanting to go to the gym, Mm -hmm. being obsessed about food, not having a menstrual cycle, hair loss. These are all things that were in her Instagram, so make sure you follow her on Instagram. But um, I also see sugar and salt cravings be huge Mm, ones as well. Um, If you're constantly hungry, ladies, that's a sign either you're you're dieting for way too long, you're dieting in general, or you're under-eating. Yep. Now we totally. know hunger, hunger's normal, right? So you're all people, you're going to be hungry. 
even if you're not dieting, you're going to be hungry. But if you're constantly thinking about food and when you're eating your meals, you're not satisfied after your meals, that's a problem. Yep. Absolutely. And then that can even go further into the place where people don't feel hunger often anymore. I sometimes see that in women that have been dieting like the majority of their adult life. It's like, you know, it's like those signals to the brain just got kind of tired of telling the brain over and over again, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And then it just kind of stopped. So I think it's important that if you are experiencing a lot of hunger, definitely a sign you need to eat more. But just because you're not experiencing any hunger at all isn't necessarily a good thing either, especially if it's been a long time. Yeah, I see that a lot of times in the the ladies I work with who may have some disordered eating. Mm-hmm. They are they don't understand their hunger levels or they're never hungry and then you're pushing food and they're like, "Well, I feel like I'm going against my hunger cues." And it's like, "Well, your hunger cues don't exist." <laughs> right. Yeah, we're trying to get those back. Yeah, so if you're and if you, I know a lot of people who listen to this who already have low progesterone or have hormone issues for many, it's because they have had periods of undereating or disordered eating. So just know that you can't always trust yourself. You can't always just jump into intuitive eating and it's going to be good for you because mm-hmm. that might, your hunger cues might not be there. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because while I absolutely love an intuitive approach and I think that that can be a great, like li- true lifestyle of how you eat, there's oftentimes a period where that's not applicable because those cues are just not there. Exactly. Now, in regards to low progesterone, I do want to also mention a few things that I personally see in practice with people Mm -hmm. who have low progesterone. So I do see, of course, the irritability, the mood swings, spotting between cycles, Mm -hmm. having two cycles within a month, quote unquote cycles, hot flashes, hair loss, we mentioned that, really bad PMS, low libido, um, and not being able to manage stress. So that's different than anxiety, right? So anxiety, being anxious, um, way different than having, you know, poor problems with stress. But mm-hmm. I see those a lot. What would be for you, if somebody comes to you, what is typically the biggest symptom that you see in regards to low progesterone? Yeah, I'm just either, curious. Oh yeah, it's two things. It's either that they're not having consistent cycles and we can trace that back to the fact that they're not ovulating and therefore not making progesterone or it's like the very extreme PMS. So a lot of mood issues leading up to the period and then like very heavy and painful periods. And that really just happens because progesterone wasn't around in sufficient qualities Mm -hmm. to keep estrogen in check. And estrogen gets a little crazy and we have heavier, more painful, more symptomatic periods. Yeah, I tend to see a lot of sugar cravings and a lot of irritability and mood swings. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I see those too. And, um, one of the best things that I think people can do to just get, you know, get a pulse on what's been going on with their hormones and see if, if this is a problem for them at all. And this is like a very low cost way to do this is to track your cycle, like track your, your basal body temperature in the morning, because that's giving you real time feedback for like, I don't know, a $10 thermometer if you don't want to get one of the devices, but you get real-time feedback of how your cycle's going and whether or not you ovulated and whether or not your progesterone production is optimal because there's a very specific temperature pattern that should be happening um, in a healthy cycling woman and you can assess that each morning, which is really cool. And I totally nerd out on like collecting data of any kind on myself and my clients usually enjoy doing that too. It's just a great inexpensive way to get some some hard data 
Yeah, ladies, if you want to learn more about that, uh, we dove into that with the episode with, well, I dove into that <laughs> with the episode <laughs> with Lisa Hendricks. Lisa Hendrickson Jack the the Mm -hmm. owner of Fertility Friday her book fantastic episode you have to listen to that talks all about cervical mucus which you you should look for uh basal body temperature symptoms all that so check that out but Kaylee let's dive further into how you can help with low progesterone what are things you can do with diets supplements um, and overall lifestyle factors we mentioned endocrine disruptors but what can Mm -hmm. you do to help low progesterone yeah, good question. So eat. The, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing. If we're not doing that, nothing else matters. So eat enough food on a consistent basis. And I feel like all I do is say that over and over again, but that's because so many people are stuck not eating enough and not trusting their body to know what to do with that. And so if that's the case for you and you're listening and you're just really nervous about actually eating enough, that's where working with a coach it comes into play. It's you're, you're letting somebody else manage that process for you and, and walk those steps with you so that you can take the emotions out of those decisions because that absolutely has to be happening for your body to make hormones in the way that you want to. So the stuff that we had talked about with you know tracking your intake and comparing that to estimated needs, that's all applicable here. We gotta make sure you're eating enough on a consistent basis. Um, lifestyle-wise, that is getting serious about stress management and remembering that there are so many different types of stress to investigate, and it's important to be building in activities that help refill your bucket. And um, for me, like I really enjoy reading or journaling or meditation. Um, even walks out in nature really go a big way for me with managing stress. Um, but there are so many different things that we can be doing, and it's just such a big deal that I just, it just doesn't get enough, it doesn't get enough attention, I think, because it's not, it's not an instant result type of a thing. This is all about playing the long game for your health. Um, So stress management is big. Assessing your sleep and really optimizing your sleep is a biggie here too. Um, And it's a bit of a like chicken or the egg type of a thing because we need progesterone to help us sleep better in the luteal phase, but we also need to be sleeping in order to make progesterone. So taking a look at your sleep habits, um, adjusting your nighttime routine if you need to, um, looking at your exercise and making sure that that's appropriate for the level of stress that you have in your life and for the, the amount of food that you eat in a day. So making sure that your recovery always matches your exercise volume. And I know you can speak to that a lot more articulately than I can, the exercise piece. Yeah, when it comes down to exercise, and I try and tell this to the clients, yes, workouts should be hard. But your workouts should overall make you feel good and you should overall feel motivated to work out. Mm-hmm. So if you are finishing a workout and you feel like crap and you, you're you under-recovered or you have low periods of motivation for a significant period of time, and I would say like a week, a longer than a week, then you then something's up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, so that's a good way really to check in on it. Yeah. Now, we t- also in regards to food, we want to make sure that we have adequate micronutrients. So mm-hmm. zinc, B6, mali- um, magnesium, selenium, iron, iodine, all of our B vitamins in general, enough omega-3 fatty acids, mm-hmm. choline. There's so many different folate. There's so many different micronutrients that we need in our day-to-day um, diet. So ladies, when it comes down to optimizing your progesterone, 
It's also optimizing your diet. Mm -hmm. And you cannot out-supplement any poor diet or poor lifestyle. So, and I see this a lot. Women, they'll, with low progesterone, they'll try and optimize their diet. They'll optimize their, their workouts. They'll optimize their supplements. But then they keep the whole stress reduction mm-hmm. out the window. They forget yep. about that. They, they continue to stay up late or fight with their husband or fight with their kids. And that right there can keep your progesterone low. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the case for me. It was like I understood everything that needed to be done to get my body to where I wanted it to be. And I had, you know, dialed in the diet. I was on the right supplements. I was doing all the things, but I was unwilling to change some aspects of my life that were extremely stressful. I was staying up way too late studying for school. And then I would get up at like the crack of dawn to get a workout in while sacrificing my sleep. And I let that go on for so long. Mm -hmm like knowing deep down that that was probably what was keeping me stuck. And I just finally had to check myself and make some big changes. And once I did that, it was the last puzzle piece for me. So sorry, guys, for some reason, the recording cut out. But just diving right into this next part of the episode, we talk about how to help with your progesterone levels and how to reduce stress. So diving right into that, I'm sorry for skipping over. But here we go people plan in five to 10 minutes for yourself every Mm -hmm. single day and some people like oh I don't have time okay well if you have time to scroll on Instagram or Facebook you have time yep amen even if it's you're a busy mom and it's because I've seen this on TV this only reason I know this is an option because I'm not a mom (laughs) putting the shower on going into your bathroom for five to ten minutes and just being in the bathroom while the shower runs and just breathing and meditating Mm-hmm. Because I hopefully like your idea. kids do not come running in when you're in, you're supposedly <laughs> in the shower. But yeah, that's a great option. Yeah, that is. And you're right about that. It really starts with just five to 10 minutes for yourself each day. And you can accomplish a lot in that time. Exactly. Now, what are your favorite supplements in regards mm-hmm. to low progesterone? Yeah, so B6 has been particularly effective in this particular case. Um, both in like the traditional form of B6, but also something called P5P, which is the active form of B6. I usually have to experiment a little bit with both varieties and some people just do better with one or the other or a combination of the two. But that one is really helpful in supporting ovulation, which supports progesterone production. Um, Vitamin C has been really helpful for boosting progesterone levels. Um, Of course, your staples of magnesium and zinc always go a long way. Um, Selenium and iodine, like you had mentioned, are really important nutrients for women's health, just supporting ovulation to support our progesterone production. And then there's one, um, it goes by either Chase Tree or Vitex that I'll use quite a bit in my practice. And that's really working on the brain to ovary communication, which in the post-birth control population has been really helpful because if you think about it, you know, hormonal birth control works by shutting down that communication from brain to ovary. And so we have to really nourish that communication channel back to functioning. And I found that one to be really, really helpful in that case. Yes, I love Vitex. Vitex is one mm-hmm. of my favorites because it's really good at balancing out estrogen and progesterone. So yeah. whether you have estrogen dominance, low progesterone, uh, it's very good for either option. So it's a very safe 
herb to use if you haven't tested and you're having these symptoms or having um, mood swings. So love Vitex. I mm-hmm. typically suggest 400 to 800 milligrams for that. But I also love myonositol, which can help oh, with yeah. inducing ovulation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. There are a handful of, of other herbs as well that can help in that communication. Um, and it's just a nice, gentle, safe way to help improve that. But, you know, like we mentioned before, any of that is really helpful. That diet and lifestyle has to be squared away. But you also need to make sure that your gut health is up to par because we can take the best supplements in the world or the best diet in the world. But if we're not absorbing nutrients because our gut health is a mess, then we're really not benefiting from these things either. So I do find that we have to spend quite a bit of time working on gut health or investigating potential issues there in like the low progesterone population too. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And going back to even stress management too, Mm -hmm. you have to make sure you manage that or anything that you're taking or doing diet wise is not going to do anything. Yep. Absolutely. And and throwing in just because you throw in an adaptogen to help you with Mm -hmm. stress doesn't mean it's going to solve the issue. So you have to actually manage it with a coping strategy that's healthy, not just saying, oh, well, this supplement will handle my stress. Yep. Trust me, I wish it was as easy as a supplement. Yeah, I know. Me too. Me too. I've, I've, I've looked into like, oh, I should just add, add ashwagandha. Well, ashwagandha, that'll work. I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, it's not working. I'll try something else. No, it does mm-hmm. not work that way. Nope. You have to it's, get rid of yeah. what the true issue is, just like any root cause approach. Yes. Yep. It's never the sexy answer, but it just, if you want things to change, you have to do things differently. And that usually means like really digging into this stuff and making meaningful change there so that you can spend the rest of your life feeling good and you don't have to do this again. You don't have to be investigating these things again. Exactly. Now, what are your thoughts on pregnenolone? Yeah, as a supplement? Yes. So it's never been something that I give my clients myself, but I've had clients that have had that recommended from like a different practitioner that's maybe overseeing their care. Um, And I think it can be helpful in certain cases. I think that brings up a really good point about um, cholesterol, actually, because that's the building block of pregnenolone, which is the parent of progesterone. There's a big, beautiful chart that the um, Dutch test creators have that show all these nice pathways that Lacey and I learned back in biochemistry. But um, having enough cholesterol is essential for building pregnenolone, which makes progesterone. And sometimes I'll find that um, we'll do some routine lab work and women will come back with like really low progesterone. and I mean, sorry, really low cholesterol. And sometimes that's dietary. Sometimes that's genetic. Sometimes that's because they're on a cholesterol lowering medication. Um, but I think changing the way that we view fats and our fear in general around cholesterol is essential in this conversation because it is the building block for the rest of our you know, steroid sex hormones. Yeah, I kind of, I think it's kind of scary that pregnenolone is on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, I've even seen progesterone and even ugh, estrogen and ethanol estrogen. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of things you can order on the internet, guys. Please don't do that. If you can no. do anything, take Vitex. Yep. Yep. I'm always hesitant about giving like an actual hormone because it's just not addressing why we're having production issues in the first place. And like we mentioned earlier on, all of these things are interconnected. And if we're just giving one thing, we stand to throw off other things. And not to mention like the shadiness of buying stuff like this on the internet. 
Oh, yeah, right? So then you're looking at potential um, alcohols, pesticides, Mm -hmm. heavy metals, so many things that can make you even worse. Yep. Or they're just not even there. Like it's just a a waste of your money because it's not, it's just a placebo pill. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much to think about. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been just such an excellent podcast. Now, can you tell my listeners where they can find you and follow you? And then, of course, I would love to know what are your top three tips for having healthy hormones? Mm, Sure. So you can find me on Instagram. It's at KayleeRD. And that's my website as well. So KayleeRD.com. Um, I do most of my like educating and good stuff over on Instagram. Um, so my top three things, so it will come as no surprise to anybody that's made it this far in the episode. The first one is eat enough food on a consistent basis. The second one is manage your stress. And the third one is eat a, a nutrient dense diet that just has a wide variety of things in it. And I am super guilty of this too, of like getting into ruts with food where I find things that I like or are convenient. And I just really don't change it up often enough. But the more variety we have in our diet, the more variety of micronutrients we get. And also we can feed different types of gut bugs with different types of food. So just think variety whenever possible in your diet it's helping in multiple ways. And so if those three things can be done consistently, you know, managing stress, eating enough, and having a wide variety of food in your diet, you've come a really long way towards supporting healthy and happy hormones. Love it. Thank you so much, Kaylee. This has been such a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast.